Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Now, the Chorus Radio Network presents The Roy Green Show with Roy Green, keeping you informed and entertained. Now, here's Roy. Paris itself represents the timeless values of human progress. Those who think that they can terrorize the people of France or the values that they stand for are wrong. Well, I, I again, I'm not terribly impressed. Uh, on our uh, sort of a brief, very brief, brief review, review of uh, what Prime Minister Trudeau said, um, Roy at the Roy Green Show is my Twitter handle, and uh, JPG tweets, Sorry, Roy, but I found Trudeau so weak in how he sounded, nothing like how a leader should sound. But he's, like Scott said, he's um, just first few days on the job, and a lot of attention being paid, and lots to be discussed, and lots to be covered. The situation in Paris has has really just created such an emotional reaction and response as it as it must, as we watched and listened and uh, paid attention and learned uh, what was happening to the people who were hostages and the people who were in the path of the terrorists. That was so extremely painful to uh, to observe from a distance, not observing from a distance, but I'm sure even more painful. Carmen Chai is with us from uh, Global News. She's a health reporter, and she lives in Paris. Carmen, thank you. It's just after 10 o'clock at night for, for you in Paris, and you're only five minutes away from where the attack on the cafe took place? I am. I live literally just uh, steps away from uh, the two restaurants where the shooting took place and uh, the Bataclan, which is uh, the concert hall in which they were hostage taking. So it's oh. been a pretty crazy 24 hours. Yeah, to talk to us, uh, please, about what it is that you've seen. What are Parisians saying to each other as as this night, the second night, uh, uh, winds its way through the hours? What's what's the what's the dialogue all about? There have been so many emotions. So last night there was a lot of fear. I had people in my apartment who I've never met before, but you know it wasn't safe to go home, and we weren't going to send them out there. So uh, they stayed over. We you know handed out Wi-Fi passwords and fed them pizza and tea and hope for the best. And this morning. We weren't sure what to do, but we went outside, and it was quiet on the street. But by the evening, when I went out again, everybody was out there at Place de la République and uh, back at the, the scene where the shooting had took place. People are leaving flowers. They're lighting candles. Um, there are signs that say, we weep, but we never fear. Um, so that, that really seems to be the sentiment right now. Everybody's kind of banding together. So the second time in uh, in one year, first it was uh, Charlie Hebdo, and now it's what you experienced yesterday. Um, is there an expectation the French people have put forward to their government and, and directly, or is what we're hearing from President Hollande his own volition? Yes. So I, I did some interviews today just with people on the street, and, you know, it starts with them saying we need to stay strong and uh, we shouldn't be afraid. And then it says some people say, you know, we have a great military behind us. You should have seen the amount of sirens that we heard on the streets last night and even today, and just the rows of national police vans that fly in the roads, um, even on quiet streets. So there's there's a huge police presence right now. But uh, if you talk to the Parisians long enough, then they do start saying, you know, our, our country needs to step it up and figure out what we're going to do to, to protect uh, the city and, and, you know, the surrounding areas. Yeah, I'm thinking of what you said when, when we first started talking, and you mentioned that restaurant is just steps away from you. 
And so is the, the, the theater is not very far away from you. I would imagine you've been to both. I actually walk past the concert hall really often. The restaurant, Le Petit Cambodge, I've been to uh, just weeks ago. And actually, my friend, uh, two of my friends were at the restaurant waiting for a table yesterday. So they heard the gunshots when they were at the bar and dropped their drinks. And because everybody was running for their life at that time, and they showed up at my house completely shaken. I was asking them, what's wrong? Because we didn't even know what had happened. And at that point, we thought it was a single shooting. And once we looked at the news, we realized that it was several targeted attacks, so that was uh, we were pretty taken aback. Is there any tension among uh, French people to, toward each other? You know, we, we've we've heard about um, the the different um, sort of ethnic makeup, and there has been tension in the past. Is is any of that surfacing, or are people in in this together, one for all, all for one? I think the French are, are very cognizant and they're very um, open minded. So no, I don't think that they're you know, blaming this on, on anyone in any way, but they're, they're trying to focus on staying together. At least from the signage that I've read, there's been not a single message of hatred or anything like that. It's more about, um, you know, being strong and uh, respecting the people who uh, were injured or who lost their lives and, and their, their families at this point. Carmen, thank you very much for the time. Uh, late at night for you and after everything that's happened, but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Take care. Carmen Chai from Global uh, News Health Reporter joining us from Paris on The Roy Green Show. Dr. Christian Luprecht is with me uh, as well, international security expert, professor of political science at the Royal Military College of Canada and professor of political studies at Queen's University. And he is also in uh, in France. Where are you, Christian? What part of France? I'm in now, but I was, I was on the train back from northern France yesterday, so coming through Paris, but I came through just a little bit earlier, and as I was sitting on the train, you know, people sit there stoically, and they look at their little mobile devices, and I could tell something was up, because all of a sudden, people who clearly didn't know one another started to look at one another and started to chat with one another, and then I picked up the fact that something uh, terrible must have happened in Paris, and that was a long time before it became clear just how extensive the carnage was. Uh, so, uh, so clearly, people are quite, uh, uh, quite shaken by what happened. Let me ask you the same question I asked Ms. Chai. What are, what are the, what are the French saying to each other? What sort of dialogue have you been part of? What was, how did the conversation start and progress? Well, so I mean, so here in Grenoble, for instance, so a city of uh, of a couple hundred thousand people, just an impromptu vigil this afternoon that attracted seven thousand people in the in the city park. Uh, but people are going about their business. Uh, you do see more police on the street that we hadn't seen uh, the last couple of weeks that I've uh, that I've been here. But I think. Uh, uh, one, one, I think, of the concerns is, so as one of my friends here put it, they've been living with the highest or second highest level of the Plan Vigiparat, their anti-terrorist plan, uh, since last January. And so that people have become a little blasé about all this terrorist uh, uh, all, the, all this terrorist matter. And so some of the concern is that perhaps if you're constantly living under this extremely heightened sense of vigilance, uh, you kind of grow accustomed to it and perhaps don't pay as much attention to the potential aberrations, that, to the sort of signals that you might want to be looking out for, uh, for something actually to, uh, to happen. Interesting you, you mentioned that. It's something I wanted to say all day already, and I, and I haven't brought it up yet, but uh, as you look at what the terrorist cells struck in Paris, they struck at the fundamentals of Western society. Sports, cafes, music, concert, doesn't get more basic than that. 
And of course, they did it at exactly the right time. That is to say, in France, people go out for dinner at about 8. So if you start the carnage a little bit after 9, this is exactly when, uh, when the, the restaurants would be fullest, when the streets would be fullest with people going out. Uh, so the timing was, uh, uh, was, was meant to have maximum effect, maximum impact. And I think this is what you raise is important here, because it's precisely that, of course, what terrorists are after. It's after the liberties. It's after the way, the, the way we live our lives that they are trying to affect. And one of the, of course, big challenges is going to be, can the COP21, uh, the UN climate change meeting, can that continue to go ahead? But if we want to show ourselves to be resilient as a society, then it's, of course, very important to continue to live our lives and to go on with these types of meetings and not let them affect it. Be affected by these uh, um, by these types of incidents but I think what's what's very telling is that uh, uh, a friend I spoke to this afternoon here who grew up in Paris says all her friends are uh, are staying inside and that there is a sense of fear uh, there's a sense for instance that the the getaway car from the Rue de Charonne uh, uh, shooting has not been found and so there's a that, that might be parked somewhere in Paris and there's considerable concern that for instance it might be packed with explosives and it could go off so there's a sense that this might not be over yet yeah. that there might potentially be more to come Christian hold on please we're going to come back with Dr. Christian Luprecht on the Roy Green show on the Chorus Radio Network international security expert he's a professor of political science of the Royal Military College of Canada, also Professor of Political Studies at Queen's University. He's in Grenoble, France. Please stay with us. There's a vigil in uh, Toronto for the uh, victims of that terror attack in in Paris. There's going to be a show of solidarity, 12.30 p.m. tomorrow, and the International Centre for Human Rights in Canada will be holding a march in Toronto and Montreal, a vigil since 3 o'clock this afternoon. At the French consulate near uh, the corner of McGill College in St. Catherine Street West, if you know the city, there's another vigil at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning in Midtown, Montreal. They're being held in various urban centers and various centers across Canada. As Canadians um, stand firm with their French cousins, brothers, sisters, are really part of our national family, our national mosaic. Dr. Christian Luprecht has uh, stayed with us. International security expert, uh, professor of political studies at Queen's University. He's in Grenoble, France. Uh, Christian, assess what we're facing now. Has, has ISIS made a decision to not defend uh, the position of the caliphate uh, as much as they've descend, defend, decided to become aggressive? What's going on? So that's a very important question to ask because ISIS has, of course, been under considerable pressure on the ground as a result to various forms of uh, intervention, uh, especially from the air. And so uh, it appears that, for instance, if indeed it turns out that the Metrojet uh, bomb in the Sinai is indeed linked to ISIS headquarters as opposed to, say, just some ISIS affiliate, uh, and if it turns out that, as uh, President Alon has suggested, this attack was planned in Syria, um, and it's directly linked to ISIS, that ISIS is now going on a, um, is now expanding its international remit. And I think the disconcerting thing here is uh, it appears to be prepared on the international scale to engage with the same sort of ferocity and hatred against anybody who doesn't agree with them as they have been on their own territory. And if we look at this particular attack, I mean, France has had terrorist attacks since the 1960s, so 60 years 
Um, I lived here 20 years ago in 1995. They had uh, five uh, attacks in a row on rail infrastructure by the uh, Groupe Islamiste Algerien. Um, those five attacks together didn't uh, uh, cause as many deaths as this one attack did. I mean, this is more deaths than 7-7 in London, 3-7 uh, in Madrid. And we had seen a trend towards uh, lone wolves. And so that we see such a massive attack in a country that is well prepared, has solid security intelligence capacity, has long-standing experience, that these guys can fly under the radar and can mount this sort of an attack, I think, is a real deep concern to Western intelligence, uh, where we thought, I think, that we had a reasonable handle on being able to contain these sorts of attacks. So I think it is a uh, as, as cliche as this is, this is a game changer. This is not just another terrorist attack. And this is why I think also when you look, for instance, at the, uh, uh, at the words of the British Prime Minister, that there is real concern about the broader implications here and that we are all affected. And uh, it appears that our risk models are probably inadequate if uh, someone like this organization can either slip through the radar or not receive the attention from security forces that they probably should have received. Do they have the uh, the strength to uh, withstand uh, full out assault by NATO and the Russians if they if they are in fact responsible for the Metrojet downing and uh, they get Putin uh, wound up and he has reason to be uh, very concerned about about uh, about terrorist issues because own problems in Russia uh, if if they're confronting NATO and Russia simultaneously can they withstand that? Well, it is a multi-pronged strategy, and we saw um, John Kerry sort of making the announcement with regards to trying to get a deal together on the ground, so that clearly one of the efforts has to be to try to bring some sort of stability back to uh, back to Syria and to Iraq. Otherwise, this will continue to be a breeding ground of hatred and ideology, and of course, of also trainees. I mean, let's remember that there's 1,700 people from France that are known to have gone to fight with ISIS. The unknown number is thought to be about twice as high, that's as many people as die in car accidents a year in France. And so the French are really thinking that perhaps they've underestimated this problem. Um, and to one extent, uh, there is a question of why is it that France seems to be particularly affected. I mean, it's not just Charlie Hebdo. There have been three separate attacks on millions of military installations this year. There have been at least two separate attacks on civilian, uh, on, on civilian installations. Uh, so this is a country that seems to be disproportionately affected uh, by the disaffected small fraction minority people who are willing to resort to violent extremism to make whatever political point they are looking to make. But it's, of course, a difficult situation because uh, the attackers, they didn't hide their faces. Um, it was very clear that they were fully prepared to die. And so how do you engage with people uh, whose sole goal is to cause maximum carnage and, uh, and intend to die? I have no idea. Uh, but but I, I I'm I, because there is no there is no way. But have they assessed? Has ISIS assessed their um, opponents? And they by that they would assess they would say the Western world. Have they assessed their opponents to be paper tigers who are not likely to stand up and fight uh, at the level they're willing to fight? Well, I mean, we live in free societies, right? And this is ultimately yes. an attack on freedom. Um, and well, sure, we, defend we it. try to engage in surveillance of anybody and everybody, but that's not what democracy is ultimately about. Uh, but even if we wanted to do that, so after the Charlie Hebdo attacks, uh, one of the French officials came out and said that they were following some 6,000 people 
there just simply aren't enough uh, there aren't enough resources to follow 6,000 people on a 24/7 basis. And I think this is what ISIS is onto. That uh, they know that in one way or another, they might not succeed every time, uh, but that they are able to succeed under the sort of circumstances that we live in. Uh, in a free society. And so how do we reconcile the fundamental obligation of the modern state to keep its citizens safe and sound and preserve order um, so that citizens can then exercise their liberties without calling those fundamental liberties completely into question is, of course, a challenge. Um, and so how France responds to this, I think this is the big question that everybody is looking for in terms of an answer. But going into uh, into Syria, guns blazing, is clearly not sort of uh, the answer, I mean, the long-term answer is going to be having to make the parts of the world that give rise to breeding this kind of hatred ideology more economically, socially, and politically sustainable places to live, where people have, will have to learn to share power and where we have to give a hope to a young generation that is growing up uh, without hope. But then uh, the fact that I think this translates back that there are willing, there are people willing in a country such as France to strap on suicide vests, I think that is really rattling the French population. That is a fundamental game changer. That's what we're used to seeing in Beirut or in Baghdad or uh, from, from Syrian television. It's not what we're used to seeing in continental Europe. Uh, and uh, I think this is a, uh, is a very much a new world. And uh, ISIS, I think the more they come under pressure, uh, we're likely going to see more of these types of attacks. There's, of course, also the report that perhaps one of the attackers might have slipped into France as a, uh, as, as a normalized refugee, so as somebody with papers, and that might give credence then to the concern that ISIS is perhaps using refugee flows to, uh, to, to bring sleeper cells into uh, Western Europe. Uh, so lots of security intelligence services doing a lot of overtime right. this weekend. I have literally 10 seconds. What's ISIS's endgame? Uh, causing as much carnage as they can so as to bring on the apocalypse. They've always made that clear that that's the objective. And so the more sort of dislocation they can cause, the more they feel that they're achieving their objective. Apocalypse, not a good word. Thank you, Christian. Uh, that, is, that is the word they use themselves. Thanks for having me. All the very best. Dr. Christian Luprecht uh, on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. We may have him back tomorrow. Uh, briefly, international security expert, professor of political science at the Royal Military College of Canada. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Dr. Zudi, Zudi Jasser, the founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He has family in uh, in Syria, and Hussein Hamdani, lawyer and spokesperson for the Muslim Council of Greater Hamilton, vice chair of the North America-wide organization Nasser. Stay with us.